Good afternoon. We are live. This is the real Evan J live stream, or if you're listening later, it is the Evan Talks podcast. And today's date as we're recording is Wednesday, December 7th, 2022, a day that will live in infamy. And uh, I'm your host, the real Evan J. Let's get the opening song started and I'll see you on the other side. Two minutes. You know, it's been a long time since I had something to say. I told you what was going on, then I went away. Now it's been about a year, so I'm coming back to remind y'all what's going on here. Everything I said turned out to be true. All the liars in the media, the gaslighting you. There never really was a real pandemic, or there would have been people pushing wheelbarrows. Dead people in the streets, piled up to here. Dropping dead faster than we could conceive. Bodies piled up like the Spanish flu, but it wasn't like that, because they're lying to you. It's time to be awakening. Turns out there were no more deaths in 2020 than in previous years, counting all the other causes. They just moved the deaths from all the other columns, like flu and pneumonia. You know what they call them? They call them COVID deaths. They inflated the numbers to make us all afraid. Separate your families to make us feel sad. Isolate your children to make them feel bad. Terrify them, then deny them basic human dignities they rely on. Human touch, smiling face, fresh air to breathe a wide open space. Slap a mask on your little kid's face. Staff infection all over the place. Why can't people see the fear they're in? This shit is straight up Luciferian. Shit. All right, welcome to the show. Uh, We had Lisa come in right at the opening song. Welcome, Lisa. Good to see you here. It is uh, just after 3 p.m. Pacific. And we're here every Wednesday at around 3 p.m. Pacific. And then uh, these shows get posted up to my Rumble channel, to BitChute, and they get syndicated on Substack and Apple Podcasts now. So uh, right now, I am going to show you my Substack, okay, which is at eventalks.substack.com. I encourage you to subscribe to that if you're not already. Um, what are we looking at here? I've got several uh, posts. This launched on November 26th. It's only been up for about uh, 10 days now. And I've got, I think, five audio podcasts posted and a few articles. Uh, one of the more recent ones was my personal announcement that I was diagnosed with diabetes recently. And so I'm dealing with everything from double vision which is making it difficult for me to uh, interact with the computer sometimes, as well as my energy levels. And it's been uh, quite an upheaval in my life, but the show must go on as the saying goes. So today, uh, I have very little planned to pre-plan, and I have very little news coverage to give, um, and I'm pretty low energy, to tell you the truth. So it's going to be a little video-heavy, one of these video-heavy episodes today. Uh, one thing I want to start on, which is some pretty good news, 
is some good news out of Tulsi Gabbard's camp, okay? Now, uh, I'm gonna show you here uh, this picture here that you see in uh, Google Images on the right of, the, of my screen is the Young Global Leaders Forum from the World Economic Forum. That's, of course, Klaus Schwab and his uh, puppets that uh, he trains to infiltrate cabinets and governments around the world and then do his bidding. On this picture, we see at the bottom left, Mark Zuckerberg. We see David de Rothschild there at the bottom middle. Um, Megan Rapinoe, of course, who's ruining um, sports. And then we have uh, at the top right, you've got Dan Crenshaw, who um, is affectionately called Patch McCain by Alex Stein, 99 Primetime. And then right here, uh, oh, top left, of course, Alexander Soros, that's the son of George Soros. And right in the front and center at the top is Tulsi Gabbard. And this has caused quite a bit of uncertainty about should we trust Tulsi uh, if she is part of this program. And she hasn't really spoken out about it. She's been reluctant to call out the World Economic Forum by name. And she, until recently, has not outwardly rebuked the World Economic Forum. But all that changed uh, yesterday or the day before, four days ago, I'm seeing, when she was on with uh, Dr. Drew. And they talked uh, in pretty much depth about it. So I'm gonna play that video for you uh, right here at the start, as soon as I say hello to Ursula, uh, who's in the live chat on Twitch. So uh, before we get started, if you're new to the show, the best thing to do is to go to the uh, Evan Talks website, that's at eventalks.com, okay? And uh, you'll see the front page, is all about my brand new book, Demystifying Crypto. Okay, you can read about the book on the website and you can hit any of these buttons on the site to get the book on Amazon. Here's what it looks like on Amazon. Oh, I think I'm blocking the picture here. So let me show you what it looks like on Amazon so you know what it looks like, okay? So back to my website. Uh, if you scroll all the way down to the bottom, you're gonna see some buttons there and one of them says blog and one of them says watch. If you wanna join the live show and you wanna join the live chat, you can just tap the watch button and scroll right down here where you'll see the show is displaying. Uh, that is the Twitch stream right there. You can sign in right here on my website. You can chat from the website or you can float your mouse over and you can click on Twitch and go to Twitch, okay? Another thing you can do up here at the top of the website of the blog are these little icons. And this little TV button up here is the watch page. That's the page you're looking at right now. And then this little ninja guy goes to DLive and then this little Twitch icon goes to Twitch. So you can also get there that way. You can chat with us, you can join the fam, you can get hugged in to the community and that would be fantastic, okay? So those are the housekeeping announcements for uh, today. So uh, your number one assignment, if you haven't already, is to go to my Substack, which is at eventalks.substack.com. If you are on my blog, eventalks.com slash blog, okay, that's another way to get there. Oh, wait, I spelled it wrong. See, that's what's happening. That's diabetes brain. EvanTalks.com slash blog. 
okay? There we go. On the blog, if you scroll down, you'll see that I have a couple of new posts. I just posted the Freemason hand sign song to my blog, and uh, that's about uh, the Freemasons and the Luciferians and the hand signs that they do. And you'll see in this cover image, everyone from Barack Obama, uh, lizard person Governor Newsom, Bill and Hillary Clinton, um, you've got the Pope there, you've got the Dalai Lama, they are all throwing the devil's horn signs, okay? And um, on my Substack blog, where's my Substack? Okay, check it out. If you scroll down here, you see this here on the right, it says official channels and Substack is right there at the top. So you can tap on that, it brings you right to my Substack blog. And the post I made last night was from the archives from episode 21 of this live stream that's now up on my Substack as a podcast, and it's on Apple Podcasts as well. And if you open that post, um, you'll see some photos there that are screenshots from the video. And here's Charles Darwin himself, the creator of the uh, evolution theory, which is a real rebuke of God as the creator of the universe. And he's throwing the devil's horn signs, okay? Because he was top level Freemason. And down here, you'll see that he's doing the hidden hand. And so in my, uh, there's Anthony Fauci doing the hidden hand in three different public appearances. So you can read all about that on my blog. Um, and you can watch the episode. There's a link back to the original episode. Okay, so let's get back to uh, Tulsi Gabbard now. Tulsi Gabbard is we thought part of the young global leaders of the World Economic Forum, but in this clip we're about to watch with Dr. Drew, um, she's distancing herself from them. So I'm gonna play that and then see what you think about that. Uh, if you have comments about that, throw them up on screen. And uh, let's see what Tulsi has to say now about the World Economic Forum. Something about the World Economic Forum, did, did, that, did you interview somebody recently or say something about that recently? Yeah, no, that's it's it's something that I've been seeing pop up a little bit on social media. Uh, people who, uh, so so basically, what what happened was early. Uh, I don't know, maybe in the first or second year that I served in Congress, um, I found out that my picture and name had been placed on the World Economic Forum's website under this category they have listed as young global leaders. And it, I looked at it and I was like, okay, well, they have different people of different political parties and from around the world that are on this website. I was never asked to join and I was never informed by them that they had put my, my uh, name and picture on their website. And I honestly didn't know that much about it. Um, but uh, people have said, oh, well, what did you learn by graduating from Klaus Schwab's Young Global Leaders uh, academy or, or all this stuff. And, and it's just, it's, it's unfortunate, um, that there's a lot of, um, uh, I don't know, false assumptions being made, I guess it's an organization. I've never gone to any of their shenanigans. That's a good word. Uh, <laughs> I've never gone to any of their events. I didn't graduate from any, I've literally not had any, had, had anything to do with, uh, the world economic forum. And the reason though, the reason why people are concerned about this is actually very important. And I'm glad to just make clear that there is no connection between me and the World Economic Forum. You know, the World Economic Forum is is essentially pushing this and, and Klaus Schwab and Glenn Beck wrote a whole book about this uh, for those who want more information. But basically, they're pushing this 
super globalist agenda where you have corporate powers of like the most wealthy of the wealthy attempting Mm. to create whatever they want to call it, some new world order, set the rules for the world that supersede and undermine the sovereignty of of countries, uh, undermining our, our democracy, essentially. And that's really what is so dangerous. And their intent, of course, uh, you know, they claim to know what is best for us more than we know ourselves. And why wouldn't they, these multi-billionaires? Um, but, but the danger of it is exactly that, that they are trying to set the rules for the world and build some kind of utopian future in their own mind, but undermining our voices and our sovereignty uh, as a country. I think that's the best way I can put it uh, in a nutshell. So um, I, I have been uh, very outspoken about a lot of these different issues over the years. So for anyone who questions um, what my record is, look at look at my record and you'll see how um, I have been talking about and warning against the very things that these people are, are pushing. Um, you know, saying that, uh, you know, if I were in, if I were ever, and I haven't been, but if I were invited to go to Davos, Davos is their big forum uh, that they put on, I think it's every year. If I were invited to go speak there, I would go and speak the same kind of truth to them as I speak uh, to anyone else. Uh, because I think it's important that no matter, that that we not just live within our own echo chambers, but we actually go out and vigorously engage in this marketplace of ideas um, that we're talking about here. Yeah, I I have no doubt that you would do so. Uh, there's there's another part of this. Again, this is on my mind now because of just having returned from from Europe, which is this this thing that's called populism and nationalism. And you know, I I, I delight in uh, Prime Minister Maloney's rhetoric. I mean, I may not agree with all her politics, but I delight in her rhetoric. I just think it, isn't that her name Maloney? The uh, uh, you know, for Italy, when I, I, yeah, I saw a lot of that uh, in Europe when I was there, particularly where she she held up a Frank, a, a French uh, something, and she goes, you know, fifty percent of this comes from kids pulling gold out of a mine, you know, and so instead of bringing those kids to Western Europe, why don't we allow those countries to keep their money so they can thrive, you know, on their own? I thought. Well, it makes perfect sense to me. I, I, I dig what she's saying. Yeah. So anyway, I just I what it but but it made me think about other things I was seeing over there, which was I'm hearing rumbles of Scotland again trying to you know push independence and and you know being in Spain and watching people celebrate their culture and their art and their architecture that there is a value that humans derive that is not purely negative. And we think about nationalism, and I think sometimes we think about World War II as sort of the final pathway of nationalism, but it doesn't have to be like that. And there's a certain um, delight that humans have, just the way the the Native Americans and the indigenous people still stay connected to their culture and, the, and their identity yes. as such, that, that everybody, humans, we... I don't know how better, stronger words than like or enjoy, but it's important to us to have that connection to a culture and a heritage and a community and maybe a people even as part of that. I, I, the fact that the World Economic Forum wants to destroy that or or, or devalue it or, or or sort of consider it somehow dangerous or problematic, I, I think there'll be a massive pushback against that. I, I think that's kind of underway. Yeah. At least my, that was my yeah. sense in Western Europe. And it, it also made me think about us here and how we just, we are so negative on, on our stuff. We are just so, we, we, 
there's like a hatred for it, you know, that you can feel, or negativity at least, that you can feel here that you just don't see over there. There was a relief yeah. not to have that. And but to acknowledge and try to come to terms with, as I said, the horrible history that the that Spain perpetrated on an entire continent and that Portugal created with the slave trade. I mean, these were real historical things that the, these cultures were responsible for and need to be yeah. talked about honestly. But condemning an entire culture and entire people in the present moment because of that history, I, I'm uncomfortable with that. As as you should be, because, you know, who are we as people if we are not willing or able to learn from the mistakes of of our past? I mean, just even in our own singular lifetimes, I think that's what we hope, right, is that every day as we move mm. forward in life that we continue to learn and we continue to grow uh, from those mistakes of the past, importantly, so we don't continue making them again and the same goes for us in the in the history of this country that we do acknowledge and recognize and understand um the sins of this country's past so that we make sure that yeah. we don't repeat those same uh tragedies again and 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 that's really where you know I, I'm proud to wear the uniform of this country. I'm proud to, you know, salute the flag. I'm proud and get goosebumps, you know, when I hear and 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 sing the Star Spangled Banner because to me that's what that represents. It represents that freedom for us as a society, as people in this country who are proud of the potential and the foundational values and principles that make this country unique. And it is rooted in those God-given rights and freedoms that are enshrined in the Constitution. And it's up to us. It's up to us as individuals and as Americans to decide what kind of future we want to see. And so, you know, again, you know, when I when I hear people who are like, oh, my gosh, look at all those American flags. And I've, you hear this from people on television sometimes, some of these political pundits or commenters or whatever it is. That like, oh gosh, if you go to the South, you know, they have so many American flags and talk about it in a really derogatory manner. It, it, it makes me sad. It makes me sad mm. because they are not recognizing how special, um, how, how special this country really is. Uh, and that, that specialness comes from those principles that are rooted uh, in our constitution. Um, you, you mentioned a couple of things I want to I want to comment on here. You, you talk about populism. And I remember there mm. I had a meeting with somebody in my office in Congress one day where they were they were shaking their heads and and like so concerned about well what do we do about the rise of populism in America and around the world? This is this is just you know this is of a great concern. And I said why. <laughs> Why is this of great concern? Because the people are rising up and saying, hey, you know what? We're sick and tired of you guys living in your ivory towers, you politicians, you elite, you CEOs of multinational corporations making decisions that benefit yourselves, but come at the cost of, of the, the lives of, of everyday people, everyday Americans and people uh, around the world. And that's really what's at the heart of it. And so when, when you look at the people who are wringing their hands over like, what do we do about the rise of populism? They are, you know, the, the equivalence of, of the elite that, that the first, you know, people who came and fled, uh, you know, England and other countries in Europe came to this country to escape from, and that's right. it, it again. It's it's just so telling. Like you look at who's who's concerned about populism. They're the people who believe that we exist. We the people exist to serve the well being and the the 
the the thriving of these multinational corporations rather than we the people existing and living just trying to to live um live our lives and that the world should not revolve the policies should not revolve around what is best for corporations but they really believe what's best for corporations is actually best for the people when Wow. No, not the case. Let me, uh, if you don't mind, uh, I'm going to read a tweet from Harry Truman or a quote from Harry Truman that you tweeted a couple of days ago, which was once a government commits to the principle of silencing opposition, it has only one way to go. And that's down the path of increasingly repressive measures until it becomes a source of terror to all its citizens. Okay. So enough about that. Um, Let's welcome uh, who is here from LinkedIn. Daniel's here from LinkedIn um, asking, let me put this question up here again. Why are all the democracies, that's quote unquote democracy of the world, implementing step by step exactly the system uh, WEF World Economic Forum is openly supportive? Um, of course, another way to say that step by step is lockstep. And we've covered on this uh, show a lot over the last year and a half, Operation Lockstep which was the lockstep scenario more specifically out of the Rockefeller document called uh, Technologies for uh, the Future of Innovation and Technology. And this was a 2010 document that forecasted all of the control procedures that we're seeing today in uh, cameras everywhere and surveillance and uh, biometric surveillance and travel restrictions and lockdowns. Um, that kind of brings us into uh, what I'm going to do today. But first, I'm going to touch on uh, Drew's uh, Harry Truman quote, uh, because it dovetails into another just a little announcement that Time Magazine, I'm going to show you this screen, has named Vladimir Zelensky, the tyrant dictator of Ukraine, as their person of the year. So he's now in with Adolf Hitler, who was Time's person of the year, and Anthony Fauci, who was named the top of the uh, most hundred influential people by Time Magazine. Time Magazine loves to celebrate sociopaths and mass murderers and psychotics. And so uh, Zelensky is the latest one being lauded by them in their uh, never-ending psyop against the people. So um, congratulations, Time Magazine, for taking yet another sociopathic mass murderer and making him your person of the year. I hope you're proud. And um, I don't know who reads your magazine anymore. You're kind of irrelevant. Um, Lady Jane, how are you doing? Um, he's talking about the Spars pandemic document. By, um, did he write that? Did he write Fauci, uh, Fauci write that one? Or was that um, just another epidemic thing that he ran? I know we covered that document here as well. Um, these are the, if you're new to the show, uh, the New World Order leaders like to publish these documents. They're like policy documents. And so it started all the way back with Henry Kissinger back in 1970s. Uh, publishing Memo 200 that basically put the depopulation agenda onto the table. And then it went into the Rockefeller document of 2010 that talked about lockstep and how all the nations in the world would work in lockstep with each other to implement these policies. And through censorship in every local uh, locale, they don't tell us what's going on in the countries around the world. 
and they're not seeing what's going on here. And all the leaders use the same words, like, you know, how fake President Biden was uh, talking about Build Back Better. And we showed those compilation videos of all the leaders in the world and the social influencers and everyone just keep saying build back better, build back better, build back better, because they take these talking points and they disseminate them and then everybody implements the plans. So like when we were under lockdown and all the media kept saying, you know, the only way back to normal is through a vaccine. The only way we're going to get out of this is through a vaccine. And they pushed these poison death jabs and they psyop the people until they were ready to stick out their arms, not us, not most of us, of course, but a lot of people stick out their arms, get these poison death jabs. Now they're trying to normalize that children get myocarditis and have strokes and heart attacks. When we know that's not true, it's total gaslighting uh, and it just happens all over the place. So I've got a couple, oh, Lisa, you put up a comment that I wanna re-put up there and ask you a question. You saw a clip the other day showing, um, that Tulsi Gabbard had tweeted at the World Economic Forum that she was honored to be selected as a young global leader in 2015 and that you're going to send me the clip. I would love to have that clip. Um, I wish I could have it right now and I would play it now. But if you send it to me, I will play it on the show uh, next week for sure. Thank you. That would be right on point. Um, mass psychosis for sure. Uh, we're under mass psychosis. And oh, you already sent it. Okay. So let me see, uh, did you email that to me? Because I can open up, uh, here, let me switch screens and I'll make it a little, so you don't have to watch everything I'm doing here. And let me see if I can, uh, yes, you emailed it to me. That is a yes. So I see it, I see it. Uh, let me see, it's on Odyssey. And some days we're not able to play videos from, uh, how long is this? This is a seven minute clip. It's not just a JPEG. Um, so hold on a minute. Let me share my screen. And we're looking here. Sometimes we can't see videos uh, play in real time on the show. I never know till I try. So let me hit the play button. All right. There seems like there's a whole lot of people out there that are tempted to support. Yeah, you together. see what happens. It's I... like the, the audio works. And for some reason, the video is not working. Um, so I'm just going to page through this video. Oh, and he was showing the same Dr. Drew video here. This is on High Impact TV on the Odyssey channel. And this is a tweet from Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, but it doesn't have the date and the time. Oh, it does. Uh, 6.24 a.m. 3.18.2015 on Twitter for iPhone. I wish I could... Uh, I wish I could verify that. Um, and it's a tweet at WEF. I'm honored to be selected as 2015 Young Global Leader. Voices representing Hawaii amongst leaders from around the world. So there is another side of the story. Um, I'm not very good at Twitter advanced search because I've been permanently banned from Twitter for so long. And uh, I've been tweeting out on a sub account that I have with like zero followers. I have like 10 followers. Um, and I can get on Twitter now, at least with that. And I've been tweeting daily, you know, since uh, 10 days ago, which was when Elon Musk said that Twitter amnesty was going to begin. And I'm doing like a countdown. So today was like day 10, 
where I say it's day 10 after Twitter amnesty is supposed to begin for all the accounts that got unfairly suspended and broke no laws. Um, Elon Musk, when oh, when will amnesty begin? Oh, when oh, when will it be? And I'm tweeting that and I'm getting no responses off that. So um, anyway, we've got this. Thank you, Lisa, for sending that in. And so we've seen both sides. She said she had nothing to do with it. She didn't know she was chosen. Now on this old tweet from 2015, we're seeing that she did look like she knew it and she was proud of it, um, honored by it. Uh, of course, okay, look, in all fairness, if you are a young uh, political representative and you don't know a lot about the World Economic Forum and their nefarious plot, okay? This is just playing devil's advocate and give her the benefit of the doubt for a second. If you're invited to a global conference that has all the global leaders and you're not sure that they wanna depopulate and push poison vaccines and install a technocracy and all that stuff because you're young and you're just elected and then you get invited to this thing, I could totally see being honored and proud to be chosen and even wanting to go. The issue is if you go and you meet these people and you start reading their documents and getting exposed to their plans, then what do you do? Do you stand up and rebuke it? And do you, you know, do you deny you ever knew them? Or do you say, yeah, they invited me and I was, you know, I was proud and honored because I didn't know who they were. And then the more I find out about them, the more I realize I don't want to be associated with these people. That would be another way that someone like Tulsi could answer something like that. Um, and so Lisa's saying there that, gosh, she'll concede that uh, Tulsi may not have been fully aware of the agenda. That can totally happen. But when they stand up and they're like, I don't know these people. I never got, I never knew I was on their website and she's been on their website for like seven years now. Um, that's a little different. So it's just, you know, politicians, they talk out of both sides of their mouth. Um, and, you know, we never know what they're up to. So let me get your input here. I've got some disjointed videos to show. I've got a John Baum report. I've got a Greg Reese video. Um, they both kind of loosely touch on stuff, but it's not a cohesive report like I usually do. I also have a movie loaded up that I've been wanting to watch with you guys for a long time, but it's like a two and a half hour movie. So we'd watch maybe 30 minutes of it today and watch it in chunks, you know, over uh, a bunch of weeks or whatever. And that is the uh, Alex Jones classic documentary called Endgame. And that's a movie that I've been wanting to share with you guys for a long time, because that's over, I think, 10 years old, where he laid out exactly all the stuff that's happening today. And it's ramping up where a lot of the stuff he predicted is going on steroids now. And so uh, since I'm a little low on energy and I'm a little low on pre-planned content, that was part of my ideas. Maybe we watch like a first chunk of that movie and then we can talk about it. Uh, or I can show these other reports from recent bound and but like i'm not i usually love to show their reports i frankly i'm not that excited about them today um for a bunch of reasons it's uh i wanted to talk maybe about the twitter files and the matt taibbi story um exposing the treason that was committed by twitter executives along with the government the biden regime 
to uh, impact the outcome of the 2020 election and go through all of his tweets. Uh, but frankly, I just, I don't have it in me to do it. There's been other coverage of it and it's just one of those days. So um, let's see what uh, Lady Jane is saying. Uh, and then the next tweet says your typing is getting bad when you rush. It's okay. I just, I do that too. Um, yeah. So, okay. Your typing's getting bad when you rush. So if you guys, have you guys all seen Endgame? Has nobody seen Endgame? You guys who are on here live? Uh, because I'd kind of like to just get that going. I think it's a really good documentary. Um, and oh, oh, we got Dawn coming in on Getter. Hey, Dawn, uh, Lisa, you've seen Endgame. Let me get the Twitter, let me get the Getter chat up there. Uh, welcome to the show, Getter. Dawn, that Dawn girl on Getter, and your dog Taco, too, and your little dog, too. Um, welcome to the show. I'm glad you're here. Uh, talking about James Baker being fired. Um, and that was good news. So Elon Musk has exited the FBI plant that was in charge of um, Twitter in their legal department. And he was apparently vetting, in other words, trying to censor uh, the Twitter files information before it went into uh, Matt Taibbi's hands, okay? Uh, very interested in Endgame, Daniel. Okay, great. Then I'll start to play that and hope that LinkedIn doesn't cut us off uh, uh, midstream, okay? Uh, Kathy's here. Hey, Kathy. So you saw it a year ago. So I think um, especially um, for Daniel and other people on LinkedIn, if people are watching and not commenting, uh, it could be really instructive because this is the type of content that never gets on that platform. And that's one of the main reasons I like to do this show and stream to these platforms is to try to see if we can get some of this information seen uh, by people and kind of circumvent a lot of the efforts done by these dark uh, cabal of people behind the scenes to try to stop us from finding out what's really going on. So one of the best reasons to watch a movie like this uh, now, 10 years after the fact, is because of that meme, uh, Alex Jones was right. Because a lot of people uh, don't know about Alex. They only hear what they see on the news, on the fake news. And he's painted as this crazy character. And uh, he's a funny, funny guy. And he does sketch comedy sometimes. And he does play crazy characters. And sometimes he gets angry legitimately at the evil that's going on in the world. So he yells and screams. And then, of course, those clips get taken and they get played over and over again, uh, mostly out of context. And they don't know that he's one of the most caring, most loving human beings that just loves humanity, loves people, he's a big teddy bear, and just loves you. You just want to hug the guy. And he has been an investigative reporter doing groundbreaking exposés on... Um, these secret cabals and these secret groups and governments and their secret societies that they belong to um, and all of that. So let me get into that. Let me play that and I might pop in every once in a while. If I see comments, I'll of course uh, throw them on the screen during the video um, and that'll give us, uh, we'll get through a good chunk of this, maybe the first 30 minutes of that today and uh, see how you guys and see how... Uh, See if we get cut off on 
Twitch or DLive or see if we get cut off on LinkedIn or if we're able to do it, uh, this might be a great way to get this movie out in four or five big chunks. Um, so we got Dawn here on Facebook. What's going on? Uh, oh, that's Texas. What's going on? She calls me Callie. So we got two different Dawns. We got a Dawn on Twi on uh, Getter. We got Dawn on Facebook. We've got LinkedIn. We've got DLive Chat, Kathy. We've got Twitch. We got all five platforms uh, with viewers today, live viewers. So I love you all coming to this show. Thank you for being here with me. This is awesome. I'm super excited. Let me get right into the uh, end game content right here. And um, we'll take 30 minutes of this and I might pop in a little bit uh, during this and feel free to comment. I'll get your comments up on the screen. All right, here we go. Uh, Endgame documentary, part one. One of the things that you know we're getting from this morning, this afternoon's conference, this morning conference was about the uh, the the energy crisis, the price of oil. This the afternoon conference, which started about four o'clock, four four thirty. We were talking about uh, one of the American delegates. I, I wasn't told who exactly it was. Was talking about the uh, <coughs> the concern that the American citizens have had with the, you know with the housing prices going down. So they're not investing that money. So what they needed to do is they needed to create the illusion that everything is going well. So what they're going to do over the next year, year and a half is to bring the market back up to 1998, 1999 levels. They're going to get all the suckers to invest whatever little money they have left over. <coughs> and that's when they're going to make the economy bottom drop out. They need to destroy the economy because as we're running out of oil, when people don't travel, at least that's what they're saying, when people don't travel, when people don't have money, they don't travel, they don't spend any money, which means you don't waste a lot of uh, 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 oil and natural gas. That's well, actually the two people uh, who are members of the Bilderberg Club. It's actually members. They're members of, they're they're members of the Bilderberg Club who, for years and years and years, have been going and participating in all the conversations. They've always been dead on, always. And last year they said the oil prices are going to go up to 150. At the time it was 39. Went up to 76. Yeah. Basically doubled. Yeah, yeah. If it doubles again, it's going to be back to where these people. They attack Iran at will at 150. Well, the uh, the Iran thing is on the back burner. Uh, it was very much on the agenda last year, but from what uh, I'm getting at this year's lunch, today's lunch today's lunch and a few people playing golf the Iran is definitely sour and they're not uh, exactly sure how to do this thing uh, well, there's just too many consequences too many repercussions anyway but they it, told them they told them no I mean they said don't attack Iraq half of them back in well I, I think it's different I think uh, the new cons I think the Bush administration is is not in the same position as they were two three four years ago Absolutely. as they are now so the whole point is is that 28% anyway, of real writing. Yeah. We still have two days of, of Bilderberg Conference because it started late, a day late. It's going to go on until Sunday afternoon. I think it's going to go Sunday morning, still going to have uh, discussing something. Anyway, it's, all, it's on all day tomorrow. So uh, 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 we'll find out a lot more about what they're going to be yeah. talking about. Tomorrow, the first item on the agenda is Eurasia. Russia, uh, China, and the relation that the Russians and the Chinese have with the Americans. That's the first item on the agenda, first thing in the morning. And that's the, uh, uh, that, that, that discussion forum will be led by Richard Cohen. 
the New World Order, as we're seeing it evolve, is exactly the opposite of what our founding fathers intended by developing the Constitution, the tripart form of government where you have division of powers between the legislative, judicial, and executive branches. When our founding fathers established the Constitution of the United States, they intended to have the local government as being the superior government over the state government and the federal government. Unfortunately, over the last 50 years, the reverse has occurred. Now we have an all-powerful federal government. Jefferson said when that happens, we will have a tyranny that is far worse than the one that they had just separated, which was, of course, England. We now have a government, basically, that is, is a tyrannical form of government in the federal government. It will become more so in the future because they have no accountability to the actual local person. The reason why we had local government as being the most powerful government in our Constitution was the fact that these were people that were being elected by the people over which they had jurisdiction. Now we have jurisdiction by bureaucracy at the federal level that has no accountability whatsoever to the local person. And that will always result in tyranny eventually. Lilleberg's ultimate goal is a world government for the United Nations to evolve into a world government. And they're making uh, progress, and we must stop that progress. Uh, the fact that the UN is now the standing army of, uh, I mean, you know, the NATO is now the standing army of uh, the United Nations that was established at the uh, 50th anniversary celebration of NATO, pending before the uh, UN for at least three years now, is legislation to uh, oppose a direct tax on all the people on earth, their favorite being a 10 cent tax on barrel at all head, but it was established the precedent of the UN directly taxing individuals throughout the world. And of course, uh, the American Union, the NATO is to expand throughout the Western Hemisphere, evolve into the American Union, the dollar will be the euro, and already the groundwork is being laid for the Asian Pacific Union. The goal is to divide the world into three great regions for the administrative convenience of a world government which the UN will, uh, will become in our lifetime unless we win this fight. I think that their plans are not coming together as quickly as, as they would have liked and would have hoped. For example, uh, their idea for breakup of Canada, you know, the, the initial plan was for 1996. We stopped them because we found out what their plan was. That was in King City and Toronto. Hundreds of thousands of people came out onto the street protesting the possible breakup. So these people postponed their plans to the year 2000. Now they have postponed them to the year 2007. Uh, the United States and Canada more or less are one nation now because, you know, you have the, the military code sharing. So the United States and Canadian military basically are working on the same wavelength. Congress has already been signing its authority over to international bodies, and the World Trade Organization already has more authority over our trade disputes than our own Congress. Can you speak to that? It's already happened. Well, uh, yes, the WTO has ordered Congress to change some of the trade laws, and Congress comes running uh, back like a child and uh, follows orders. And uh, I forgot exactly what the deal was, something to do with tar tariffs or something, but because we're part of the World Trade Organization, they in effect nullified laws of Congress, say you gotta change that law. We are adapting our Supreme Court, our Constitution, to fit within this legal model of the world. We are being homogenized into the world. Our military is being homogenized and standardized into the world format. 
all over everything that's happening through NATO and all the rest. NATO is the is the military branch of the European Union. We're going to have one here for the North American Union to enforce our borders, supposedly. Uh, the ASEAN or the new Asian Union will have another and so forth. This is going to be, within a couple of years it looks like, standardized all around the world. If you really look at the world, uh, up until the, uh, the Renaissance, uh, what you had basically had the feudal society with the slaves and the slave owners. Then, you know, suddenly with the Renaissance, the, whole, the, you know, the ideals of Socrates, the ideals of, of Solon uh, uh, took forth. And if, if we kind of jump forward to the, uh, to, uh, to the reign of, of uh, Louis XI uh, and the Henry VII in England, these people, for the first time in the history of mankind, the ideals of, of nation-state, which is, you know, which is, defines the United States, the idea of, of, of the government working for the people, not people working for the government, the idea of, 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 of the social good, of greater good for humanity, you know, came about. And if we jump to the 1760s, um, in, in Europe, the European intelli intelligentsia, the, the people like Bailly and Lafayette, they realized that to destroy you know, the old world order to destroy the European monarchy. What they needed to do, they needed to create a state, and that's what the idea of the United States came from, this, you know, this, uh, 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 you know, the, the, this, this, this Eden on earth of, of a nation where uh, every man and woman were created equal. You had the freedom of speech, where you had for the first time in, in the history of mankind the ideal of, 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 of nation state of people, uh, of governments working for the people and not people working for the governments. And so these people like Lafayette and Bailey uh, and, and other European intellectuals and thinkers, they, uh, they've built themselves around the, the, you know, the figure of, of Benjamin Franklin in the United States. And through this man, the idea was to create the Constitution of the United States and then import that Constitution back into Europe and use that Constitution to destroy the old world order, which was basically the old order led by the royalty of European nations. Now, the uh, British East Indian Company, led at the time by Lord Shirlburne, who was basically the, you know, the, 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 the treasurer of the, of, of the royal family and the man who ran the, uh, the, the Committee of 300, the Council of 300, was called at the time, realized that they were looking at a very, very grave crisis. So what they wanted to do, what they needed to do, they needed to destroy the idea of the United States as a nation. That's where the, uh, the idea of the American Revolution came about. Now, the, thankfully, the, the Committee of the Council of 300, they lost that revolution. But what they tried to do, and they were able to succeed, is they, they by forcing the, your, the French Revolution, they destroyed the concept of nation-state. We had to wait until after the, uh, Napoleon III, and then we had to jump to the age of the Fifth Republic of de Gaulle until we finally saw that nation-state building that the United States was built on. Now, what they've done, the Jacobian Terror, uh, 1789, 1794, the French Revolution, that was the concept of terror created by the Council of 300, the same Council of 300 which today lives on in the body of the Bilderbergers. Now, the ideal hasn't changed. They're still pursuing the same goal, the goal to destroy humanity, to create the, the Nietzschean uh, man-beast. And uh, again, the Jacobian terror, the, uh, the siege of Bastille, which basically a terrorist act, that's what it was. There was very little difference. Uh, you know, in my conferences, I always talk about, you know, if you want to understand the 11th of September, you need to understand the French Revolution. What happened in Bastille is the same thing that happened on 11th of September. The concept of man-beast, the concept of terror, for terror's sake, 
The idea of Napoleon, which is one of the things that people do not understand. Napoleon worked basically for the British government. He was the agent, not literally an agent, but because of Napoleon's terror, destruction for destruction's sake, the men destroyed all of Europe and debilitated the Europe. And as a result, the only superpower left standing was Great Britain, controlled by Council of 300, which were the forerunners to today's Bilderbergers. Well, the idea of, uh, the idea of world government, uh, again, uh, in the future world order, when you have um, slaves and slave owners, you don't need a population base of 6 billion people because these people need to eat, otherwise they die. So you might as well just get rid of half of the population base. And again, we saw that in 1974 uh, report, which was leaked years ago, the 9th of April, 1974, uh, report signed by Henry Kissinger in the last dying months of Nixon's administration, when they were talking about reducing the population base by 3 billion people, it's on page 9 of that report, I think it's point 29C. They're looking at ways, again, they're looking at ways scientifically how to reduce the population base. And what is so terrifying about that document is they're using graphs, uh, line charts, pie charts to talk about killing three, I mean, it's genocide, that's what it is, killing 3 billion people using graphs and pie charts. And if you jump to today and you see what is going on today, it's very easy to understand that what they were talking about in 74 is coming around today. In the very near future, uh, if we're paying right now uh, uh, $75, $76 a, a barrel, and in the near future we're paying $150, $200 a barrel, what's going to happen is to transport apples from point A to point B is going to cost an exorbitant amount of money, which means that poor people will not be able to pay $50 per apple and they will die. And the same will happen with people who live in Canada, who live in, in, in Scandinavian nations. Anywhere there is, you know, you have this terror, you have to overcome these 40, 50 degree below zero winters. They will just die because they will not have heat to heat their homes. So the Bilderbergers don't physically need to eliminate 3 billion people by putting a gun to their head. They can do it in a very, very subtle way, again, using the control of population control. And we're seeing it right now as oil goes up, as the food quality goes down. The age of the $10,000 Caesar salads or $10,000 kiwis uh, or 10,000 kilometers, sorry, kiwis that travel from New Zealand, then they get packaged in, in Norway, then they're sent to Spain, and they finally get to the United States where it's sold, you know, in, in, in Loblaws are over. If you want to eat kiwis, you better grow them themselves. If you want to eat bananas, you better grow them themselves. I think the future of humanity is based, the survival of humanity is going to be based on our ability to live in much smaller community. If not, unfortunately, we're playing into the hands of the Bilderbergers and the world elite. One of the things that we need to recognize in infrastructure is what causes the economy to grow. Yes, we need private property rights. Yes, we need a good economy. But the economy is also dependent upon our transportation system of being able to get products from one area to another. The whole Agenda 21 concept compartmentalizes that economy. In other words, the environmentalists want us to be able to grow and produce everything that the local region needs. We won't need it. They do not want us to have this transportation. They do not want us to have the ability to draw tomatoes from South America into the United States. They want us to, if we cannot produce it in the United States during the middle of winter, then we shouldn't have it. If we, did not, if we cannot produce it in your local community, then we shouldn't have it. This is all part of their vision, their view of sustainable development. It doesn't have to be that way, but that's the way they elected to do it. Why? Because they believe, one, that nature is God, and that, two, they want to have control. The more they can control, the better they can be able to accomplish what they want in our lives. 
One of the things that most people do not understand is most of the environmental laws that we have created over the last 40 years have come from a very small group of people through what is known as the IUCN, or the International Union for the Conservation of Nature. This itself has been created and sponsored and sponsored by principals like Prince Philip or Prince Charles, as well as the Rockefeller Foundation. If you think back, not very many years ago, if you talked about the Bilderbergers, if you tried to talk about the Trilateral Commission or the Club of Rome, you would be called some sort of conspiracist nut. Those organizations, we were told, did not exist. and certainly did not have an agenda that we claimed that they had. Now it's all out in the open. They will lie and they will conspire to keep the truth from the people until they no longer can, and then they'll paint it as just something that's normal. But think about it. Think just a moment about it. You have 135 people, roughly, in the Bilderbergers. You have about 175 in the Trilateral Commission. These people are making policy decisions for every single human being on planet Earth. Somewhere less than 500 people if you look at it in total. Maybe a thousand, doesn't matter. These people are making decisions for the entire world. Do you really want that? One of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that this concept of regionalization has been around for a long time. In 1973, the Club of Rome actually published a diagram showing that they wanted to divide the world up into 10 different regions, financial regions. They called them actually financial kingdoms, in which each kingdom would have its own separate economic integrity, so that they would be able to carry forth the types of supervision, the types of economic flow and so forth, that is necessary to stabilize what is going on in the world and provide the mechanism, the structure, architectural structure, to begin the population reduction that they've always been wanting to promote. In order to achieve their idea of world government or global governance as they now call it, they wanted to actually divide the world up into 10 economic regions. They call them 10 kingdoms, but that was kind of a language that just didn't fit very well within the psyche of the American people and, and Europeans at the time, so they changed it to, fi to financial regions, and that's what it's been called ever since. It's one of the issues in which all of the member organizations of this effort of the Anglo-American uh, faction have been working on. The Trilateral Commission, the Club of Rome, the Bilderbergers, the CFR, and so forth have all been working on this. And here you can see the diagram of how they envisioned it back in 1973. When it came out in 1995, our global neighborhood was the United Nations Commission on Global Governance. This is where they begin to finally put it together in the form of a document. This document has been the actual template that's been using ever since 1995. If you look at what's actually going on, what they called regional groups, not only are this 500 or 1,000 people actually developing the policy for the world, they're developing policy that benefits them, not us. I worked closely with the EPA and the U.S. Forest Service and many environmental organizations, and it became very obvious to me that they really weren't, they weren't interested in protecting the environment. They were interested in advancing an agenda. And so I began to do research as to what it is that was motivating them and what they were, where they were going. And I was shocked to realize that at least in the leadership, both of our government and the non-governmental organizations that were involved in this, were what's called pantheists, the belief that nature is God, and therefore they, their role was not in serving the American people, but in protecting nature from the American people. It was actually 100 years ago uh, with, with Muir and starting um, the Sierra Club and so forth, 
And he, again, was a pantheist to believe that nature is God. I won't go into that particular aspect of it, but he truly believed that we need to set vast acreages of land aside for the principal purpose of allowing nature to go her own way because, in essence, nature is the foundation of all life and therefore we must protect it at all costs. It actually languished for about 100 years until the, well, not 100, about 60 or 70 years until the 1960s with the advent of the New Age movement and the counterculture movement. And then it began to take on some real power. Which thought it was counterculture, but really foundation funded the whole time. That's right. The whole counterculture movement was orchestrated and funded not only by the, the foundations, but was inspired by a, panthe or a pantheistic belief system, a cult religious belief system, whose origins are found in theosophy, or the belief that nature is, is God, and taken through what is now known as Lucifer Trust, which is the organization for the elite to implement their ideas, uh, headed up by Alice Bailey in the first half of the 20th century. The whole global warming issue is a farce. It's a sham, basically, to advance this agenda and create a condition in which the United States, the citizenry of the United States, is going to be willing to give up our sovereignty in order to control what they perceive as a doomsday uh, scenario that if they don't get a handle on it within the next 10 years, that's what we've been hearing now. Actually, if you remember back in the early 1990s, they said we had 10 years to do it or we're, or we're doomed. Well, now it's been 15 years ago, ago now and of course nothing's changed. Well, the same thing is going on right now. Global warming is occurring, don't get me wrong, but it's not caused by man. We had what was called a little ice age back in the 1700s and 1800s. And during that period of time, we were able, to, there's a high correlation between sunspot activity and the energy output of the sun. There were almost no sun, solar flares, no sunspots during the 17 and 18, early 1800s. And it got about a degree, degree and a half colder than it is right now. It is very interesting that the solar radiation and the Earth's temperature are highly correlated. In fact, they can actually be almost on a daily coordination we had a major solar eruption back in 1998, at the same time as we had El Nino, and we had a solar spike within a week, uh, a, a temperature increase within a week of that event that peaked out within a few days, uh, about a week or so, and then, and this is global. This isn't just the United States or a local regional area. This was global. And the two in combination, the El Nino and a solar spike in which we had a major solar eruption that was pointed right, right at Earth, uh, actually changed the Earth's temperature right away. And if you go back into the 1700s, you can actually see the correlation between the Earth's temperature and the emissions of, of uh, radiant energy by the sun. One of the ironies, I think, of our times is the fact that during the 1960s and so forth, they begin to have a dogma that the environment is being destroyed by human beings. And this was perpetrated or spread out through the media. You can't watch any nature program on chimpanzees, whales, it doesn't really matter, without coming away from the fact that human beings are a virus. We're killing planet Earth, according to this media hype that we've had ever since the 1960s. Now it's global warming. You can't hardly go through a week without hearing some scare story about global warming, that if we don't stop it in the next few years, uh, the Earth is gonna boil up and blow away, even though that there's been times in history where it's been much warmer than it is today, and of course, obviously, times in history where it's been much colder. None of these things really by themselves really are caused necessarily by human activity. It's a natural cycle. We can destroy the environment. We can destroy ecosystems. But now we have the incentive 
to maintain ecosystems, to manage ecosystems, but that's not good enough. We can actually manage ecosystems better than nature can herself. We can make ecosystems healthier, but that's not an alternative. Their alternative is that you have no use. That's the only solution that they have for protecting the environment is you cannot use it. You cannot use it. You must protect it. You must put it in the form of wilderness, whatever the case might be. Well, nonetheless, we cannot use it. Humans are the cause of the problem. We have many people in our university systems right now, PhDs and so forth, that really believe that we must reduce our human population by 70, 80, even 90 percent in order to protect Mother Earth. Many of these people actually believe that there should be wholesale slaughter of human beings in one form or another, either through disease or actual government programs of some sort or another. The actual wildlands project itself uh, that I fought back in the 1990s calls for the reduction in human population of 80 percent in the next 50 years. They don't say how to get there, although they do make it very clear that they would probably do it through agricultural means. They really truly believe that if fertilizers and so forth cause ecological destruction because they believe that, then we must reduce the use of fertilizers and it's fertilizers and genetic improvement and so forth that have caused the green revolution that fed the world from the 1960s on. If we eliminate that, we'll only have food production enough for about a third of the global population that we have today. That would eliminate the population within one generation. One of the things that Carol Quigley, one of the foremost historians of the 20th century, said after going through all the documentations of the global elite for at least two years, he said in his book, Tragedy and Hope, towards the end of the 20th century, the expert will replace the democratic voter in control of the political system. This is because planning will inevitably replace laissez-faire in the relationship between government and business. This planning may not be single or unified, but it will be planning in which the main framework and operational forces of the economic system will be established and limited by the experts on the governmental side, and then the experts on the economic side will do their planning within these established limits. And so what Carol Quigley is saying is that by the 21st century, we are going to be living in a planned society controlled by the experts. Now, look back. Now that we're in the 21st century, has not that occurred? It has, just as he said was going to happen. But, of course, he had access to the records of what they were intending to do. But it actually gets worse. Back in 1965, the Department of Health and Education and Welfare, HEW, sponsored a study to define how they're going to get from where they were then in 1965 to where we are now in the 21st century. They came out with a report in 1969 called the Behavioral Science Teacher Education Program that's now in fully integrated within our educational program. And this is what they said, and I want to have you hang on to your hats because you will not believe what they planned to do back in 1965-69 and what is happening actually today. He said, calculations of the future and how to modify it are no longer considered to be an obscure academic pursuit. Long-range planning and implementation of plans will be made by a technological scientific elite. This will strain the democratic fabric to the ripping point. The Protestant ethic will atrophy as more and more enjoyed a varied, leisured, and guaranteed sustenance. Work as a means to and an end of living will diminish. Most people will tend to be hedonistic and a dominant elite will provide the bread and circuses to keep social dissension and disruption to at a minimum. A small elite will carry society's burdens. The resulting impersonal manipulation of most people's lifestyles will be softened by provision for pleasure-seeking and guaranteed physical necessities. The controlling elite will engage in power plays largely without the involvement of most of the people. And that is so true today. Most people have no idea what's going on in the international arena, have none. 
Almost all of this is being done in secrecy. Going on with this report, the society will be a leisurely one. People will study, play, and travel. Some will be in various stages of drug-induced experiences. Each individual will receive at birth a multi-purpose identification which will have, amongst other things, extensive communications and control uses. Each individual will be saturated with ideas of information. Each will be self-selected. Other kinds will be imposed overtly by those who assume the responsibility for the other's actions. Relatively few individuals will be able to maintain control over their opinions. Most will be pawns of competing opinion molders. It's amazing how back in the 1960s they began the process of getting us to where we are right now. If you look at society today, almost every one of the characteristics that I read have come true. We are living in a planned society. We are living focused on leisure and recreation. We live in a drug-induced society. All of the things that they talked about in the 1960s have become a reality by the 21st century. This is the level of extent of control that they have. Most people's opinions are not done by through education and through knowledge. They're done by molding your ideas. And, you, and that's why it's very hard for the average person to understand the fact that we're moving into a global society that is totally controlled by puppeteers, the global elite. And moving towards... Okay, so um, that's about the first 25, almost 30 minutes of Endgame. And now he's just touching on the fact that uh, back in 2010 or 2015 when they made this doc, uh, that we're moving into a global society. And we can see that that's happening now. Now, in my book, Demystifying Crypto, uh, I have a whole chapter devoted to the Kissinger memo that they were talking about where... Uh, they talk about depopulation and different ways to achieve that and uh, naming overpopulation as what they considered to be one of the biggest problems and threats to national security. And over the years now, we've seen them over the decades building this national security state and using, as they were talking about terror, going all the way back to Napoleon and think, I guess... We needed to go back that far to see the full world in history. Uh, but tying Napoleon's terror campaigns all the way to the 9-11 terror campaign in that they were instituting a more uh, federal government or a global government at the time. First it was Britain and now it's Washington, D.C. Um, so we're going to work our way through this documentary. Um, it's a little slow in pacing. So I am uh, feeling the need to kind of cut it there and just take it in, in bite-sized chunks, okay? So we bit off a good little heady chunk there. And uh, now I want to, let me go ahead and play those other reports that I was talking about. Uh, and I'll also reload the Twitter feed and see if anybody, uh, if Elon has anything to say that's worth following. Let's see if Elon said anything. Um, you know, at the same time that he's firing his FBI agents and releasing Twitter files, he's pushing for AI development and Neuralink and self-driving cars and stuff like that. So, um, I don't really like any of that stuff because it's, you know, you give up control of driving your own car and they can take control of your car. We saw what happened to Anne Heche 
and um, people like that. So let me see. Uh, since we're on Twitter now, let's do this quick John Bound report touching on the Twitter executives uh, that should go down for treason, okay, including the former head of uh, censorship in the legal department, formerly over there, um, Vijaya. I don't want to say anything really crass there, uh, except that I'm glad that they cleaned out that dirty Vijaya. Um, let's watch this John Bowne report now. By opening the floodgates to unfettered free speech, Elon Musk has allowed hate to spread far and fast on Twitter. While the left winds out another distraction about Matt Taibbi catering to the richest man in the world, what do the Twitter files reveal about the inner workings of, as Taibbi described, a Frankensteinian tale of a human-built mechanism grown out of the control of its designer? By 2020, requests from the New World Order disciples to delete tweets were routine. One executive would write to another, more to review from the Biden team. The reply would come back, handle. Twitter was acting as a wrecking ball of political tech censorship, catering to the corrupt Washington establishment, directly impacting and propagandizing a digital town square, which affected the general welfare of the United States whose lifeblood is protected by the power and freedom of the First Amendment. And if it turns out there are a lot of us on this list where the DNC targeted us, and I will quote the immortal words of Joseph Welch when he attacked Bill McCarthy for the enemies list he had, at long last, sir, have you no shame. Yes. President Biden, all of your stocky little operatives in the DNC who have targeted American citizens. Have you, Mr. President, have all of you at last no shame? Taibbi points out that both parties had access to these tools. For instance, in 2020, requests from both the Trump White House and the Biden campaign were received and honored. But the overwhelming amount of leftist Marxist cucks staffed at Twitter ensured that Democrat Party requests took the front burner, a fact backed up by the overall donations by Twitter to the Democrat Party, reaching 99.73%, or $165,969 to Democrats, while $451 went to Republicans in 2022. Are you worried about these Twitter files coming out? What was that experience like having Kellyanne, who's always in control of herself, sicking this MAGA? trolls on you. It's terrifying. When you get targeted in some of these ways, it's hard to differentiate between what is somebody just online trying to rattle you and what's a real threat. You see in things like Pizzagate that online conspiracies can mobilize very real and very direct offline violence. I saw those harms, I experienced those harms, and now it was those harms through a mainstream news outlet being held up in, in the Oval Office by the former President of the United States, and that is deeply terrifying. What does appear to be illegal to the point of treason is that a false narrative of possible foreign hacks supposedly behind the Biden laptop debacle was manufactured by Silicon Valley, the media, and the DNC. 
Well, we know that this whole uh, smear on Joe Biden uh, comes from the Kremlin. Uh, That's been clear for well over a year now that they've been pushing this uh, false narrative about the vice president and his son. According to internal emails, there was zero evidence of foreign interference occurring. What did occur was a meltdown of internal Twitter censorship spearheaded by top Twitter management with the result of ultimately burying a critical story under false pretenses in order to sway popular opinion and alter the outcome of the 2020 presidential election. In retrospect, we now know that, as the New York Post reported, nearly four of five Americans who've been following the Hunter Biden laptop scandal believe that truthful coverage would have changed the outcome of the 2020 presidential election. And an even higher number, 81%, said U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland should investigate the laptop. Not only have Twitter employees like Head of Legal, Policy and Trust, Vijaya Gotti, and Trust and Safety Chief Yoel Roth proven that they willingly altered the 2020 U.S. presidential election, but they have demonstrated that Silicon Valley, the Mockingbird media, and the corruption in Washington is an occupying force and a direct threat to the stability and the future of the United States of America. This cyber insurrection is what I'm calling it. It's it's an assault on this country, and it's borderline treason if you think about what the executives did at Twitter. John Baum reporting. Christmas 2022. All right. Now, we've got some breaking news here out of Twitter. Uh, It seems that Roger Stone has been reinstated back to Twitter by Elon Musk. Um, This is just breaking now. And uh, Roger Stone says his thanks go to Elon Musk, calls Musk a man of his word. Um, Stone, of course, is former Donald Trump advisor Uh, and a friend of InfoWars. That's where I'm reading this from, InfoWars.com. He had his Twitter account restored today, and uh, he hasn't been able to post on the social media platform since October of 2017. So it's a long time now. He says, uh, I'm back. And he wrote, uh, he's just been informed that his personal Twitter account has been reinstated. And he's going to be talking about it Uh, or he had just talked about it on Stone Zone on uh, frankspeech.com. So uh, he went live on the air and he told his audience that he learned that his genuine Twitter page, uh, which is Roger J. Stone Jr., has been reinstated by Twitter. Uh, He says, my thanks go to Elon Musk, who's a man of his word, and I now believe, uh, based on this act and a number of acts, is committed to free speech. Okay, I, Evan J, have the jury still out because I have a far smaller audience than Roger Stone and my Twitter accounts have not been reinstated. So I'm wondering, uh, not just for myself, but for the tens, if not hundreds of thousands of other regular voices that got silenced and squelched on Twitter, if we're ever going to get our voices back if he's just starting with the big guys and trying to make news and stir the pot and he's going to get around to the little guys later. Um, Kathy's saying that uh, she doesn't trust Musk, that he's playing both sides. Seems really good at doing that. Um, And uh, again, I know he's pushing us towards the merging with machines. So uh, I don't trust that. Dawn's saying he's a cray-cray character. And uh, I still think, look, even if he's ultimately doing evil, 
by trying to corral everybody onto his platform so then he can say at some point, hey, you got to get the Neuralink or something to be able to use the platform. Um, you never know. It doesn't mean that he can't be doing good now for stirring the pot and getting people's voices back on the platform. You know, it's, it's uh, life is like lasagna. It's a layered mess of conflicting layers. Um, sometimes they're quite delicious together and sometimes it's just a big mess. So um, Stone got banned in Twitter in 2017 after calling CNN anchor Don Lemon a cocksucker, which is technically true, right? And so, uh, and he called him a dull-witted, arrogant party boy. I don't know why they spell party boy like boy with a B-O-I. I never understand that. Um, and so Stone's coming back to Twitter. So that's good news. Okay. I love Roger Stone. He's a good guy. He's one of the good guys. So um, let's see. What was Gates' dad into and Musk's daddy? They're all uh, transhumanists, right? Is that what you're getting to? Um, transhumanists. And so uh, there we go. Uh, yeah, there's, <laughs> there we go. So in the little time we have left, I'm going to wrap this up in the next 10 minutes. I've got a Greg Reese report that just dropped today. I might as well play that and we'll end on a higher note and then I'll grab the uh, accordion and see if I can get through the closing song. Um, and uh, we'll look at the Reese report, which is on, uh, apparently the Brunson brothers have filed suit against 230 or some odd members of Congress uh, and are accusing them of treasonous acts for failing to investigate the stolen 2020 elections. And this case is making it all the way to the United States Supreme Court, which makes it newsworthy enough to look at this report now. Okay, so check this out. Short report from uh, Greg Reese. And then if we have comments about that, we can talk about that. Otherwise, I will ditch the jacket, grab my squeeze box, and do the uh, closing song so we can get out of here nice and easy here by about 4.30. Okay, here we go with the Reese Report. Uh, if I can find the right button here, Brunson Brothers. Here we go, Greg Reese Report. We can blame the media for much of our current demoralization, but that would only keep us from looking at our own inaction. The elections are rigged and both parties are crooked. But for some reason, everyone is busy talking about other things, things that don't matter. Because without having a voice in our own government, we are nothing but a slave class for the lobbyists. If we were a serious people, we would have never left the Capitol on January 6th. Instead, we ran home like children. And when the Canadian truckers stood up, we stayed put in our homes and watched it on the screen, hoping they would somehow make it all go away. Just like we did when Australia stood up, the Dutch farmers, the Brazilians, and by the time the Chinese stood up, we stopped caring altogether. People are now more concerned about who will run in 2024, as if it even matters. Republicans are openly discussing cheating in all future elections, so that even if they win, it can easily be taken away by their leftist partners. People don't care about America anymore. If we were a serious people, then we wouldn't be sitting at home and looking for someone to blame. We'd be focusing all of our attention on the rigged election system and our criminal Congress. 
It's what Carrie Lake is doing in Arizona. And it's what the Brunson brothers are doing. They went through the exhausting bureaucratic process of litigation. And they have managed to get their case scheduled for discussion by the Supreme Court on January 6, 2023. The Brunsons have accused 388 members of Congress of treason for voting against the investigation of our 2020 elections. And they are asking that all of them be permanently removed from office. The Brunson brothers are right, but many roll their eyes and don't want to hear it. They have lost all faith in the government and either want a revolution or distraction. But if your goal is to defend the U.S. Constitution, then there is a proper way to do it. And while it may eventually lead to violent action, the proper way to get there is first through the courts and then go from there. It may not seem as sexy and fun as your favorite distractions, but it is the proper way to start the process of restoring our nation, address the problem, and stay laser-focused on it. Because it doesn't matter if we have a voice on Twitter. Our elections are still a total joke. Twitter is a distraction. And if we don't wake up, it's the new model for free speech, regulated by our new royalty class. And so serious people are either busy building solutions or pressing both sides of our crooked government, both the left and the right, while preparing for the worst. Because these agents of the Great Reset will likely never surrender. The powers that be may have built the circus tent, but we have filled it with clowns. And so long as we are content with doing nothing but complaining and fighting one another, then nothing will ever change. The demoralization is real, and it's time to snap out of it and become a serious human being. Because if we do nothing, they are just going to fake a reckoning. Blame it all on a hundred old patsies and put us all back to sleep so they can keep exploiting the human herd. Reporting for InfoWars, this is Greg Reese. All right. So, a little disjointed on the uh, report today, but the overall story is the same every week. We're being pushed and herded in mass towards this globalist takeover uh some call it the great reset some call it the new world order it's all the same they're taking over elections in all the countries they're rigging them stealing them installing puppets of the uh world economic forum and uh all those secret groups and front groups that they have uh, I write about all of this, by the way, in my book, Demystifying Crypto, uh, and laying it all out how the central bank digital currency that they're currently pushing and calling the digital dollar is not the digital dollar, but the slave token that they're going to use to enslave all of humanity, uh, incorporating all of their uh, population controls and behavior controls with social credit score and how it's going to, if they are allowed to replace money and credit, uh, it's game over for all of us. So all of these pieces that we're seeing um, from the most bizarre to the most serious and alarming, whether it's the pushing the vaccines or the global ID passports, uh, travel restrictions, whether it's the climate change 
uh, scenario where they say that they could fly around. I didn't even cover that with Harry and uh, Prince Harry and uh, Meghan Markle flying around multiple times in their private jet this week, emitting more carbon emissions than the average person would on a uh, commercial plane in years of travel and how much you can drive all year long and not emit as much as an average private plane emits in one flight. And yet they're saying that the world need is gonna end and they have to restrict your right and my right to get in a plane and take long distance travel or to drive gasoline powered cars or use any kind of diesel powered stuff. And all of this is part of this big, great scam for them to control and manipulate the population, ultimately depopulate us with poisons and with death jabs and with lockdowns and with suicides and with euthanasia, okay? Going all the way down to uh, the kids, abortion and transgenderism. All of this is part of this big push, okay? And that's why, first of all, I thank you for staying with me during this kind of... <laughs> diabetes season where I'm getting a handle on my uh, on my blood sugar it's really affecting me like my uh, energy is super low it's very hard for me to stay uh, coherent <laughs> and um, multiple finger jabs and insulin injections and all this stuff is new to me so I appreciate uh, the uh, letters and emails that have been coming in I appreciate people on my uh, comments uh, private, public, whatever. I love you guys. And this is why I end every show with this little song that I put together from Words from the Bible uh, to keep us positive spirited and putting God first and keeping God in our hearts. So uh, we can cover the news. We can look at all the demons spawn and what they're trying to do to uh, bring us down. But it's important that we constantly do our own little reset which is resetting our hearts and our minds and retuning them to God in the universe and to uh, expressing our gratitude and doing what God wants us to do, which uh, these words come from Proverbs and Ephesians. That's a little bit from the Old Testament, a little bit from the New. Okay, and uh, Jane's ahead of me here uh, quoting this uh, quote, this verse from the Bible, trust in the Lord with all of your heart lean not into your own understanding because only God knows everything, right? We are limited beings with limited consciousness. God is infinite and omnipotent, okay, and omniscient. So only God knows everything. God even uses evildoers for good, okay? Just like the lizard person governor when he closed the churches and told the choirs to stop singing, it snapped me out of my haze and made me realize that there really is a war on God and uh, sent me running to God, like what can I do to help? And God brought me uh, as a Jew, yogi, who always loved God but was never really uh, into Jesus and God brought me straight to Jesus when I asked God, what can I do to fight the evil in the world, okay? So uh, I'm a Christian Jew, I'm a Christian Jewish yogi and this uh, words are coming from the Old Testament Proverbs and from the New Testament Ephesians, which uh, the verses that I chose are about speaking to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melodies in our heart to the Lord. That's Ephesians 5.19.
Okay, and then there's some other verses from Ephesians in there as well. All these words come from the Bible, uh, and here we go, closing song. Substack, you hear from me almost every day. And there we have it. So we got some amen from Kathy. Amen and amen. Uh, Crazy Lady Jane, so good to see you when you can make it. I know you're in a totally different time zone down under, so love to have you here. Um, Ursula, have a great night to you. Um, everyone, on the, had a lot of East Coasters tonight. Everyone on Facebook, uh, Dawn in Texas, everyone on uh, LinkedIn. Dan, thanks for being here, Daniel. And um, everyone who couldn't make it, I will see you uh, in the replay or on the other show, okay? So, um, ah, thanks. So Dawn says, how can I not bring a smile to someone's face? Um, 
not anything I've heard at church, but sure the heavens were smiling, right? So that's making melodies in our hearts to the Lord. And so uh, there we go. And Kathy's saying, go Substack. Kathy's one of my best Substack readers. Um, Evantalks.substack.com. I post the podcasts. I post regular articles. Okay, and I'm interlinking to the Evan Talks blog as well. So I'm trying to bring this whole Evan Talks universe uh, together coherently so all my content can be shared and seen. Uh, I really appreciate all the support. My paid subscribers on Substack, I love you. Everyone who shares my content, likes, uh, hits the heart button. I love you too. I love you all. And I'm going to bid you a fond farewell and adieu until we meet again little Carol Burnett ear tug and blessings to you guys. Take care. Thanks for being here.